What a privilege it is to be back at Colonial Baptist. You need to know that this uh, pulpit has been seen all over the world. Uh, We have it in one of our promotional videos in which we feature your pastor. And uh, we did that even before uh, we uh, invited him to Dallas Seminary uh, to speak to us and our students and our faculty were blessed uh, by his presence. But uh, he is uh, standing uh, in this pulpit and he is talking about this pulpit because one of the shared values that we share with you is that uh, God's word and God's word alone is the authority of our lives. Uh, His inerrant, inspired inerrant word and hence authoritative But I just returned from a uh, trip to Europe in which uh, we were rehearsing these great truths of the faith in a a, a tour of the Reformation sites, and uh, sola scriptura was sort of the foundation of all of our talks. Uh, And so it is a privilege to be back here, and especially to be in fellowship with your pastor and his family, whom we dearly love and count as dear friends, and it's it's really a privilege. I just uh, taught a doctoral class at Dallas Seminary this past week, an intensive from 8 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon, uh, with 10 doctoral students from all over the the world. Uh, Three of them were Chinese, one of them is in military ministry, one has just taken a new pastorate, Uh, one is in between pastorates. Uh, It it, it was a a thrill to to be around the table. One uh, facility is from just outside of Moscow. And uh, that is really a cross-section of the students that God has allowed us to have a part in equipping for a lifetime of ministry. Our mission at DTS, uh, which is a shared mission with shepherds, and we count it as sister seminaries, is to uh, glorify God by equipping godly servant leaders for the proclamation of his word and the building up of the body of Christ uh, worldwide. Uh, I I can't think of a better mission to wake up to on a day-by-day basis And and one of the things that is a bit depressing is what Dick Shepard said. He said, the greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. Can I say that again? The greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. The flip side of that is one of the greatest strengths is the incredible satisfactory lives that uh, Christians can live because of the grace of God and because of the Spirit of God. I, uh, a part of my heart opened a number of years ago, fact, fact, a little over four years ago now, that had never been opened before when uh, our children showed up on our doorstep, my oldest son and his wife, and they, uh, they brought us a pair of booties uh, and announced that we were going to be grandparents. Now, we thought we were a little young for that, but uh, we have realized that we have been uh, the perfect age for that. And, and that announcement was a thrill. We knew it could come any time, and so when they opened the door and showed up on our doorstep without telling us they were coming and uh, dropped that pair of booties on us, it was, it was phenomenal. But it was about four months later that that pair of booties shrunk into oblivion because they had just been at the doctor's and they came and they showed us a sonogram. In fact, I want you to see the sonogram. Uh, There is my granddaughter lying supine, as uh, in medical terminology. You can see her nose and her lips and her little chin as she is facing directly upward. See her little backbone, you see her little breastbone. And uh, when when I saw that, in fact, it said on one of the sonograms, Hi, Grandpa. These sonogram people know how to do it. 
Uh, they get the grandparents in from, you know, before day one. Uh, unbelievable. And, and all of a sudden, when I had that picture, I'm showing everybody that picture all over the place. And I forgot about the booties. It was one thing to have the announcement. It was another thing to see the reality. But it was a little over four years ago on June the 3rd that uh, Fiona Maeve Bailey was born. Let me show you her picture. She comes from singing parents and uh, she started singing from day one. Uh, both her parents, uh, Josh and Emily, were music majors at Moody Bible Institute. And Josh came and did his THM at Dallas Seminary. And he, he had no choice. And uh, no, he had a choice. We said we'd stand by you, Emily, if uh, you helped Josh through seminary, and we stood by her and forked out a few green ones to help her get her master's in vocal performance and pedagogy, and now they're in a music ministry in a local church in Dallas, and, and, uh, and Fiona Maeve was born. I have about a hundred pictures that I took within an hour's time of her birth. I'm not obsessive. I was just excited. And I took them all on my computer to Israel, and I showed all of my Israeli and Arab friends about a one-hour-old baby named Fiona. When Fiona came into this world visibly and physically where we could hold her and cuddle her, not only did the booties not matter, but the sonogram never got shown again, except in this kind of an arrangement. But uh, at two years old, I started having phone dates. I started having phone dates. That's a play phone, but I call her on Wednesdays on my way to a businessman's Bible study that I teach, and, uh, and uh, she called me and she named me Baba. And so I'll say, hi, Fiona, this is Baba. Hi, Baba. And we uh, have had a love relationship since. But uh, she just turned four. She just turned four. And uh, she was over at the house not too long ago. And uh, I heard her little voice and her daddy, they come in and bunk in for the weekend. In fact, they bunked in last night when I left, and I didn't think that was too much fun. Too fair, but uh, it is. And, uh, and uh, she was out in the living room with my son, Joshua. And, and she said, uh, as I came out with my shoes and socks in my hand to put them on early one morning, she says, Daddy, Daddy, can I watch the baby channel? Now, we get the baby channel at our house. They don't get the baby channel at their house. And so at Baba's and, and Grammy's house, uh, the baby channel is a hit. It's a child development program, and she just loves it. She's so intensive. And uh, he said, not yet, you know, Fiona, after breakfast, to which I heard my godly granddaughter say, okay, daddy. And I'm thinking, yeah. Because I had come out of our bedroom. She went flying in to find Grammy, and Grammy was making the bed. And she goes, Grammy, Grammy, can I watch the baby channel? <laughs> to which my wife, Barbie, rightly said, uh, what did your daddy say? To which Fiona thought for just a moment and said, maybe daddy said yes. Spiritual formation has to start early. Discernment needs to come at all of our ages. But uh, I, I tell you that story because uh, booties were great for their time. It, they were absolutely perfect. But that wasn't the end of the story. A, a sonogram was absolutely perfect for its time, but that, that wasn't the end of the story. Once she came into this world, physically and visibly, where we could hold and cuddle her, that sonogram no longer had the special place in our heart. Didn't mean it was bad. It was absolutely great. I, I still have the sonogram, but I now have Fiona. And when about age uh, one, she first 
initiated that hug all by herself. It was in Fadi's restaurant, a Middle Eastern restaurant, uh, Knox in I-75. And I saw her and she came and she put her arms around me and and hugged me. Uh, She's had my heart ever since, easily. It's only gotten better. When you open your Bibles, and if you would, you'll notice that there is an old covenant and there is a new covenant. It's called an Old Testament and it's called a New Testament. God revealed himself as a a verse said that, that, that the law came through Moses. Uh, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was perfect. David said, I delight in thy law. I love thy law. Meditate in the law day and night. Nothing was wrong with the Old Testament. Nothing is wrong with the Old Testament. Nothing is wrong with the law. But that's not the end of the story. There is a huge step up between Old Testament and New Testament. Old Covenant and New Covenant. In the Old Testament, we have the law that was given by Moses. But when we come to the New Testament, the dominating thought of a passage of Scripture to which I would like you to turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is that we now have the indwelling Spirit. Notice there there is a contrast between Old Testament and New Testament. There, There is a contrast between the law of Moses and what you and I have in the privilege, the unbelievable privilege of having not just a spirit that comes and goes like David prayed, don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. But now, as Romans 8 says, if any man does not have the Spirit of God, he's not even his. We have the incredible privilege of having an indwelling spirit. When Moses received the law in the Old Testament and God did his wondrous saving acts of the Old Testament time, it was incredible glorious. The glory of the Lord showed up. But that glory in comparison to New Testament glory fades into insignificance. It was perfect for its time. Step one is great, but step two is even better. The two dominant economies that dominate our scripture Uh, from about Exodus 20 all the way to Revelation chapter 3 is that period of God in working with Israel under law and that period of God working in grace, especially what he calls the grace and truth in Jesus Christ. God takes, and this is the fun part, and this is why it stays absolutely more exciting to study God's word today in my life than ever before, is that God took the whole of biblical history And used it as an illustration for what God wants to do in my life and in your life this year. You ready for that? He said, if you understand what I'm doing in biblical history, you'll have a better insight in having a satisfactory life of a dynamic Christian life. Because then you can understand what I'm trying to do in your life on a year by year, month by month, week by week basis. Now that's a big sell job, but hang on to it. So pronounced is the contrast between the two economies, or as some of us theologians would call dispensations, that was once what was rightly considered resplendent, now appears scarcely resplendent at all. So said Murray Harris. Take your Bibles and and look with me. I want you to see, with that as a backdrop, I want you to see a series of contrasts that Paul decides to start using to tell them why he's so excited about what God is doing in their life and why they ought to be excited about what God wants to continue to do in their life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? 
Or do we need some letters of commendation to you or from you? That was the old practice of having a letter of introduction that would get you access. He, he says, you guys, in fact, he says, you Corinthians are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us. Now watch as he begins to do a series of contrasts. Someone once said, when the sun comes up, the moon is forgotten. When the sun comes up, the moon is forgotten. When the spirit showed up, law takes a back seat. He, he contrasts, first of all, in verse 3, ink on parchment, as they would write in New Testament times, and the spirit of the living God. Look at verse 3. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Second contrast in that verse, not on tablets of stone like Moses received on Mount Sinai, but on tablets of human heart. He's setting you up for, stage one was great for its time, not to be compared, however, with stage two. And so he begins this contrast, ink on parchment, spirit of the living God, tablets of stone in contrast to tablets of human hearts. Verse five, after he says we have this kind of confidence through Christ, not that we're adequate in ourselves, there's a contrast, but our adequacy is from God. So adequacy in ourselves, left to ourselves, but an adequacy that comes because of the indwelling spirit of God, that adequacy comes from God. Now look at verse 6, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, a new arrangement in God's dealings with humanity. God has made a covenant that he will again initiate with Israel back in the promised land in the future. But there's a sense because of the finished work of Christ, who is the Messiah, the sending of his spirit, the inauguration of the church, that we have become beneficiaries of that new set of relationships because of what Christ and the spirit of God have done. And we're in a new arrangement. And hence, our very Bible is divided between Old Testament and New Testament. So the contrast is between the letter, in verse 6, and the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, the letter only could condemn, but it's the spirit who regenerates. And so he says one is a ministry of death, in verse 7. The other is a ministry of the spirit. He says in verse 7, if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. Now, when he just gave you that illustration, he went back to that period of time when Moses went on the mountaintop and he was shielded by that cloud from the presence of God and he was a distance from the people at the base of that mountain. And because of having been in the presence of the Lord, his face reflected that glory. And the farther down the mountain he came, it was like his face was on a dimmer board, a light board, and, 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 and the, the, the dimmer was turning down and the glory was fading. And because they didn't want to see the fading glory, they asked him to put a veil over his face. Well, that illustration he's using in a different kind of a way to illustrate the difference between real glory that faded and real glory that remains. So he says, if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stone came with glory when God showed up on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning 
and his uh, finger etched in the stone, the very law of, his, of himself. It says, and the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory? Now, I don't know about you, but I would have sort of loved to have been just a little bit of a distance from Moses watching all that. You know, kaboom, thunder, the lightning and the smoke and God's etching out with the finger pen of his own person, the law that would summarize all that God wanted to reveal about himself and about the way to approach him and the way to live for him. I think I would have loved to have watched that. But you know what? The Bible says you and I have an experience that's even greater in glory than that. That was a ministry of death. This is a ministry of the Spirit. Verses 7 and 8 said that had a glory that was fading. The beauty of our relationship is there can be a glory that abounds. Verse 9 said that was a ministry of condemnation. How much more the ministry of righteousness abounds. In verse 9 it says that previous glory is like no glory at all compared to the present glory that is the surpassing glory. Are you catching it? Stage one, sonogram is great. Stage two, having the reality is better. He's setting you up with a holy apostolic setup. And he's going to get us. Verse 10 says that glory faded. This glory remains. Verse 11 says that that glory sort of embarrassed Moses. You know, it says, verse 13, We are not like Moses who used to put a veil on his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Can you imagine him coming down the mountain? Whoa, look at Moses. Whoa, look at Moses. Moses, cover your face. This is depressing. We now see more of you than we see of God. It it, it was an embarrassment. And and so they said, cover your face. And he covered his face so the sons of Israel would not look at, at, at that fading glory. But that's in contrast to the boldness of Paul. And he says, therefore, verse 12, having this hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Not like Moses who, but, verse 14, their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because it is removed in Christ. Verses 12 through 16, he takes that concept of veil that was over the face of Moses and he uses it as a metaphor of unbelief. And he says, to this day, whenever the law of God is read, there is a veil that lies over the heart. But when a person turns to Christ, that veil is removed. That is his imagery for coming to faith in Christ. And he comes and he gives us that great verse in verse 17. He says, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. See, in contrast to the old covenant that condemned and only pointed you forward, Galatians says it kept you locked in prison. It it, it was a a, a tutor that would take you to Christ. Uh, That's the function of law. The function of having life in Christ because of the Spirit of God in our lives. When a person turns to the Lord, his metaphor in this context for coming to faith in Christ, 
when the Spirit of God regenerates uh, the heart and mind of a person, and the Spirit of God takes up residency in that person, when a person turns to Christ, the veil is removed. And all of that contrasts 12 of them in a few short verses between stage one and stage two, so to speak, in these two great periods of God's workings with humanity. He says, all of that is to set you up for one verse. One single verse. It's a verse that describes the kind of a dramatic change that will keep you from being and keep me from being unsatisfactory and having the greatest handicap the church could have is the inexperience, the lack of experiencing the dynamic change that God wants to produce in every single one of our lives. I want to break down the verse in phrases, talk about each phrase, then I want to put it back together and give you what might be called a construct, a description of of a dynamic Christian experience. He begins with a good Texas expression, verse 18, but we all. Now, I want you to see that. When he says we all, he's talking about life within a community. God never intended growth to be in isolation. In fact, scientists, weird scientists who have put kids in closets and done experiences, it stunts their growth, it stunts their emotional growth, even their, their, their physical growth, even the height that those children could, could, could reach is stunted by isolation. God never intended us to be Christians on our own. We all, it's the community. But it's not just a community of people. It's not just a group of people who come together. He then uses a a, a great expression, we all with an unveiled face. All of that previous material helps us understand. How does a person have an unveiled face? It's because we've turned to the Lord. So we're talking about a community, but we're talking about a community of believers. The tense of the, of the verb here is having been unveiled, a face having been unveiled. It's a perfect uh, a tense uh, verb. It's a participle. And what he's saying is we all, having come into an experience of having our faces unveiled, having turned to the Lord, we are a community of saints, a community of believers. One of the thrills that I get in coming to see what our graduates like your pastor, how God has used him and others on the team and all of you to put together a ministry like this. Nothing is more thrilling to me. It's very similar to what uh, one of the uh, Johannine epistles says, that I, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. As a faculty member and as a president at Dallas Seminary, uh, nothing gives me more joy other than in my own family with watching my boys walk with God and my daughter-in-law walk with God and Fiona trying to figure out how to walk with God, of seeing our students, over 12,000 now, all over the world having ministries, some of whom like this, makes it all worthwhile. We, we all, men and women, we, we all who have come to faith and have faces unveiled, a community, but a community of believers, beholding as in a mirror. The mirror is an imagery of the Word of God in this passage in places like John. 
are, are places like James chapter 1 where it says that, that when we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue, I memorize it in King James, you'll either praise me or forgive me, uh, and, and continue therein, <laughs> uh, this man will be blessed in whatever he does. Uh, we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, we, we, we contemplate uh, in the mirror the, 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 the word of God, the place of revelation, the sola scriptura, But we don't want to become like the other man in James 1 who looks in the mirror, straightway leaves, and forgets what kind of a man he was. One of those television programs that comes back to my mind is Happy Days. Ronnie Howard. And one of the stars of the program was Henry Winkler who played the role of the Fonz. Maybe you remember it. Some of you look at me and go, we don't watch TV. Some of you do, okay? And, and, and the program started with the record playing and a Happy Day song coming on. And Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is decked out in his white T-shirt and his leather jacket, his blue jeans and his high heel boots, and he's got that whatever kind of a haircut they wore in the 50s. I was born in the 50s, so I, I don't know, remember the name. But he's in the upstairs apartment of the Cunningham household, and, and, and he comes and he pulls his comb out of his pocket. He looks in the mirror and, 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 and sees himself and starts to comb his hair. And then all of a sudden goes, hey, which was his famous thing, you know, with thumbs up, hey. And every, every girl swooned and every boy jumped and the uh, world was set, you know, exactly right by his hey. And the implication was, looking in the mirror, he saw perfection and there was no need to change. I I don't know about you, but when when I got up this morning, and I looked in the mirror, I didn't go, hey. I went, hey. There's some change needed. And I did my best to change some things in the immediate. You know, when when we look at the the Word of God, we see the perfection of God, and we see the sinfulness of humanity apart from the work of God. And God wants us to behold as in a mirror and see something we would never see otherwise, that only He could show us. It is a group of people like us who have had our faces unveiled by turning to the Lord, we now have the opportunity to have the revelation of God. And when we look into this word, we see, fascinatingly, the glory of the Lord. We see in the revelation of God the most perfect picture of the Son of God, what he calls the glory of the Lord, the life of Christ. Because why so important? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. In him was hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And and God was pleased to have the fullness of deity dwell bodily in him. This is not disrespectful. It's absolutely true. He was God in a bod. The word became flesh. And we beheld his, say it with me, glory. The glory of the Lord. And when I stare into this book intently, I see the glory of the Lord and I see it reflected back on me and something dramatic takes place. And it is absolutely exciting. And one of the most satisfying things that you could ever experience. He says, we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that 
same image. Now here's the kicker. Into that same image. Transform. Here's the process of change. Here's what keeps the Christian life from being such an unsatisfactory handicap in our churches. Barbie and I just celebrated 36 years of marriage. We've been dating 39. She was 16 when we started dating, and we've been together since. Uh, One of the most fun things is to have watched God change us. Now, there's been a lot more drastic change needed in me than in her. She was an angel to start. She's just gotten better. Mine's been a total work of God, hopefully. But the, the phrase here is, is, is a, a present passive form, which means it's ongoing and it happens to us from outside of us. The word for transformed, we get our English word metamorpho, metamorphosis from this word. Metamorphumatha, and you can get shots for that at the nurse's station, <laughs> is the Greek word. I want to give you an illustration because science is the illustration for this as he chooses to use that term. Butterflies are unique and fragile creatures with lifespans that range from a brief three days, are you ready for this, to an elderly six months. With two weeks being the more common average. Their complete life cycle, my wife tells me, she taught science, fifth grade science for a number of years, uh, is a process involving four stages, the egg, the caterpillar, the pupa or chrysalis, and the butterfly. A butterfly egg is about the size of a pinhead. It's deposited by the female on the underside of a leaf, not just any leaf will do, but the caterpillar will emerge from the egg, will be a ferocious eater, but it is a fuzzy gastronome, as they call it, and will eat only leaves of specific species of plants. Once the caterpillar has been born, eats, grows, and matures, it will enter the pupa state, housing itself in a home of its own making called a chrysalis. With many butterfly species, the chrysalis itself is a joy to behold, sparkling in the sun like a precious jewel as it clings to the vegetation. And inside the chrysalis, one of the most astounding phenomena of nature takes place. The metamorphosis from a homely caterpillar into a resplendent butterfly. Frank Ilya, who manages the Day Butterfly Center, said there are 18,000 species of butterflies in the world. Isn't that amazing that God would allow and create 18 different, 18,000 different things that will last only from three days to six months in life? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou hast regard for him? God so chose to work in us. Some of us realized that we started like a pinhead underneath a leaf. And out of that, God wants to create a resplendent, resplendent butterfly. The irony is that uh, we'll have this talk with Fiona and her little younger brother, Gavin, If I would take her to a pet store and I would ask the pet store manager, I would like a granddaddy caterpillar. He'd look at me like I'd been spending way too much time with a four-year-old. And he would say, we don't have granddaddy caterpillars. 
Because caterpillar is a stage in the life process of a butterfly. They go from caterpillar to butterfly. They don't stay caterpillar. Or their process has been aborted. And death takes place. Well, I said, well, how about a granddaddy, you know, uh, tadpole? He said, no, 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 no. (laughs) A a tadpole is a stage in, in the life cycle of a bullfrog. And we get granddaddy bullfrogs. We don't get granddaddy tadpoles. There was a song that our kids sang and was on an Agape Land record when we were uh, raising them. And it was Bullfrogs and Butterflies. And it was a cute song. It was just terrible theology. Not because the theology that was asked for was bad. Because it says you must be born again. That's biblical. But they were using the wrong illustration. Because metamorphosis, metamorpho is the word, is only used three times in all of Scripture and never for being born again. Because metamorphosis is the stage-by-stage growth in keeping with the nature of that animal or, as the Lord would choose to use it, in the life of a believer. In fact, that word is used only three times in the scripture, once in the synoptic gospels for that change of outward form in keeping with that inward nature that Jesus displayed on the mount called the Mount of Transfiguration, where what he was by nature showed up on the outside and his glory was seen for those few moments that Matthew 17 calls the vision Peter, James, and John, with Moses and Elijah and Jesus on that mountain. A precursor to ultimate kingdom glory in the future. To encourage the disciples that in spite of death, there would be glory and there would be kingdom and there would be a coming king. That's the first time it's used. The second time it's used is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. After saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is the most reasonable thing you can do. Logicon liturgion in Greek. Logical liturgy. It's the most reasonable, rational thing you can do is to give yourself to God as a sacrifice. And the third time it's used is right here where he's clearly within the family. It's not an expression of coming out of death and into life. It is the natural, the the supernatural process of God's supernatural will to take us from one stage of glory to another. Look at the next phrase, from glory to glory. Literally, from glory into glory. From one stage into another stage. Did you catch it? It's that phrase, from glory to glory, that you have this huge divine echo. And it's like Paul's going, listen, listen. Glory of the Old Testament. Glory of the New Testament. The old, the new, the law, uh, the spirit, death, life, condemnation, righteousness. Did you catch the big picture? From glory to glory. And he says, that's a setup. Because what I want us who are believers to do, Paul says, we all, 
with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from this stage of glory into a new stage of glory. And there's that step-by-step process. There's the stages of growth. May I ask you a question? Will this year be more resplendent than last year? Is this month a better month for you as a Christian than last month was? Are you more glorious now than you were? Or are you trucking down a mountain and the glory keeps fading and people may look at you and say, hide it. Put a veil over it, would you? Dick Shepherd is right, the most biggest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of its professing Christians. And I think the reason it's unsatisfactory is because they haven't experienced the incredible transformation from one stage of glory into another stage of glory that only God can bring about. How does it happen? He saves it to last. And he says, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. There's the power source for the change. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year, God is freeing us up from sin and self and this world, the flesh, the devil. And he's saying, you can move from one stage of glory, caterpillar stage, to butterfly stage if you want it. That's the incredible opportunity of grace expectation that God allows in our lives. When I hear Barbie describing what Fiona says when she babysits her from time to time, I watch growth. Maybe daddy said yes. There needs to be some growth. But she was sitting the other day in uh, her little chair. They bought little camping chairs. They were going camping as a church and a family. And they're sitting at the back door, which is a glass door. And they're looking out. And, and, I, and, and Fiona says this as her mom hears her. Look, Gavin. She's got her arm around her little two-year-old brother. It's scary that she's his teacher, but that's okay. But she says, look, God made the trees. And God made the sky. And God made the grass. And then she turns to him, and God made you, little stinker. (laughs) And she's right. And they're the two best pagans I know. And the two pagans I love the most. (laughs) And I can't wait for that egg to be deposited under the leaf where God is going to do a work of life. And the chewing and the growth and the chrysalis. And I can't wait to watch what God's going to choose to do in bringing butterfly in those two kids. It's the, every pastor's dream for his people to go through that process. It's every pastor's dream to continue to go through that process himself. It's my prayer for our faculty. It's my prayer for our students. And I challenge our faculty every year. If this year isn't a more glorious year in your ministry than last, we need to talk. Because the only reason that won't take place is you. 
Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And this is something that happens by the Spirit, who is a third member of the Trinity, and hence, with great theology, he says, whereas by the Lord, specifically, the Spirit. Can I put it together in a definition for you? It helps me. Maybe it'll help you. But this is the haunting prayer and desire of my life, and that is this. God's transformation of the life of the believer into the image of Christ through the word of God by the power of the spirit of God in fellowship with the people of God. It's God's transformation. There's the change of the life of the believer. There's the Christian having a face unveiled by faith into the image of Christ. There's Christ's likeness through the word of God. There's the content, the, 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 the incredible encounter that God allows me to have It happens, however, by the Spirit of God, but it's never alone. It's always in fellowship with the people of God. And that's why God is so urgent in watching His Spirit change you in fellowship with each other here at Colonial Baptist Church. Because in the life of an individual, so true in the life of a church, 2008 ought to be more resplendent than 2007. And 2009 ought to be more resplendent than 2008. And September ought to be better than August. And August ought to be better than July. Why? As we submit ourselves to the, the, the ultimate change agent who so desperately wants to accomplish supernatural metamorphosis in all of our lives. Can I tell you from the honest bottom of my heart, That's what I'm most excited about. That God would change me. And God would change the people around me with whom I have the privilege of fellowshipping. In my family, on my job, in my church, in fellowship with folks like you. It's my desperate prayer that the glory surpasses every previous stage all the time. What a message that God would change, say, the whole Bible and the way I've moved in history is the way I want to move in the history of your life too. Would you commit yourself to that with me as we pray? Father, how wonderful you are. We have sung and worshiped with the majesty and glory of your name. That what you have chosen to reveal in the universe and what you've chosen to reveal in your word and in the person of your son, all of that has been so that you could reflect your glory to a greater degree in our lives and in history now than ever before. What a privilege it is to be alive in these days. In between what you've done in the past and not yet to the glorious stage of what you will do in the future. Thank you for letting us be a part. Father, this is my heart prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Would you grant it as we yield ourselves and put ourselves in a position whereby we submit to your transforming ministry. We ask it in Jesus' name.